It is April 15, 1984, and a man enters the swanky Pierre Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. The lobby is an ode to Big Apple wealth and status. High ceilings, crystal chandelier, a black-and-white checkered marble floor. The visitor fits right in. He's natalie dressed in a pinstriped gray suit and red and blue tie. His polished black loafers reflect light from above. He walks past the front desk toward the elevator banks. A few people stare and whisper, Is that... Pete Rosell, the 58-year-old commissioner of the National Football League, is hardly just another executive. No, he is the king, czar, and headmaster of the most powerful entity in professional sports. Roselle does not want to be seen here. Certainly doesn't want this visit to appear in the Times or Daily News. That would be disastrous. So he keeps his head down, walks into the elevator, and presses P for penthouse. The 41-flight trip feels like an eternity. What is he even doing here? Aren't there better things to do, like jabbing his eyeballs out with pencils? Like watching an endless loop of Joni Love's Chachi reruns? Like... He finally reaches the penthouse level, takes a few steps, and knocks. Pete, how are you? Hello, Donald. Roselle is standing before Donald Trump. The rising New York City real estate developer owns the Manhattan's Grand Hyatt and the year-old Trump Tower. Oh yeah, one more thing. Donald Trump owns the New Jersey Generals of the United States Football League. The United States Football League, better known as the USFL. And in the early to mid-1980s, the USFL is an upstart, but it's scaring the hell out of the NFL. When Roselle received the call from Trump a week earlier, the NFL commissioner didn't know what to think. The two men have met a handful of times at charitable balls, but they're hardly friends. But business is business. And when the owner of a team in the rival league calls, you have to listen. So, Roselle wonders, why does Trump so desperately want to talk? Roselle shakes Trump's hand and enters the suite. So, why am I here? Trump is a baby-faced man of 37. His hair, brown and wavy. His lips are thin and the color of fruit punch. When he talks, his hands move like blender blades. Pete, I'm going to be blunt. F*** USFL. You and I both know it's a joke and it's not going anywhere. I want an NFL franchise, and I'm sure you want me to have an NFL franchise. Look at me. I'm a winner. That's not what Roselle sees. The effrontery of this guy, as if. I own Trump New York, and I'm sure you understand what I can bring to your league. The power, the prestige. It's a perfect match. I want an NFL team, and I'll happily help kill the USFL if that's what it takes for me to get in. Roselle is dumbfounded. Who the hell does he think he is? You can't just demand to be let in. Roselle turns to leave. He could just walk out, but he's having a physical reaction to this man. And so he pauses. Mr. Trump, as long as I or my heirs are involved in the NFL, you will never be a franchise owner. Donald Trump is undeterred. 
He wants a National Football League franchise, and he will do whatever it takes, ethics and principle be damned, to land one. Hey, it's David Brown with some really exciting news. You can now listen to episodes of Business Wars completely ad-free, exclusively on Stitcher Premium. In addition to our ad-free episodes, you can also listen to tons of other ad-free Wondery shows. Plus, with Stitcher Premium, you'll get access to hundreds of hours of original content, audio documentaries, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of your other favorite podcasts. You can sign up now for a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcherpremium.com slash Wondery and using the promo code Wondery. Then, once you're signed up, just download the Stitcher app for iOS or Android and start listening. That's stitcherpremium.com slash Wondery. And don't forget promo code Wondery. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana has unmistakably unique culture, world-class cuisine, and the nation's top-ranked workforce development program. This incredible state's business environment is powerful, rich, and diverse. It's the gateway to 38 states and the world with a port system delivering the most domestic cargo in the U.S. It's also where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will transport the first women to the moon. Discover Louisiana's investment resources at OpportunityLouisiana.com to learn how your company can gain a competitive advantage in Louisiana. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. In our new six-part series, USFL versus NFL, we drop in on a time before the National Football League was a $75 billion juggernaut, back when it owned not just Sunday afternoons, but Sunday nights, and Monday nights, and Thursday nights. This was a time before the lead performer at the Super Bowl halftime show was deemed international news, before Tom Brady and Pat Mahomes and Odell Beckham were household names. Back to a brief span in the early to mid-1980s, when an upstart spring league, the USFL, came along and tried to spike a football on the NFL's own turf. It started a high-stakes competition that involved stealing players, taking over markets, and desperately trying to change the face and feel of America's most popular sport. This is Episode 1, Birth of a League. Now, here in 2019, it's hard to imagine a rival entity causing the NFL much stress. 
As of this moment, two new football leagues, the XFL and the Alliance of American Football, are planning launches within the next year. The NFL is responding like a lion with a flea landing atop its mane. Even with its issues, the NFL is the biggest show on the planet, an untouchable sports monolith. August 7th, 1961. It's a steamy day in New Orleans, and local businessman David Dixon is pissed. He slams down the phone. He can't believe what he's just heard from the NFL's treasurer. The league's chosen Minneapolis as the location for its next team. Minneapolis? This has to be a joke. He clenches his fists. The feeling of frustration is familiar by now. Though Dixon is just 37, he spent the past decade trying to land an NFL franchise in his hometown of New Orleans. To Dixon, a football team takes a city from the minor leagues to the majors. It means you don't merely exist on the map. You're a destination. And he was assured New Orleans would be next. Dixon walks into his kitchen, where his wife notices he's clenching his jaw. Bad news? They rejected us again. I really don't know how much more of this I can take. Well, there'll always be another chance. Will there? Will there? Dixon's frustration morphs into anger, and that anger morphs into rebellion. He loves the NFL, but does he really need the NFL? You know, the only reason football is known as a fall sport is because Rutgers and Princeton played the first ever game in the fall. Do you know that? If those teams had played in the spring, football would probably be a spring sport, don't you think? Uh-huh. So why not a spring football league? Why wouldn't that work? Mary has no answer. Two years later, in the spring of 1963, Dixon finally takes action. He flies to La Jolla, California to visit the house of Paul Brown, the legendary Cleveland Browns founder and former head coach. After nearly two decades, he's recently been fired by the franchise he created. Dixon knows there's no love lost between Brown and the NFL. And he also knows Brown is a no-nonsense genius with a football IQ of 500. Dixon's come to sell Brown on his idea, which he's calling the United States Football League. Dixon leans forward, perched on the edge of the living room sofa. Look, Paul, here's the way I see it. We play the games in the spring, not the fall. We hire big-name coaches, men who can draw a crowd. We keep salaries in check. Nothing crazy. At least early on, we got to grow slowly, you know. And we have regional college drafts for the USFL. So let's say we put a team in New Orleans. Well, fans can watch the kids they grew up following at Tulane and Ole Miss and Mississippi State, that kind of thing. That way you have instant loyalty. Brown sits quietly, wrapped by everything Dixon is saying. He listens and listens and listens, spellbound by the Southerner's pitch. David, never, ever let anyone talk you out of doing this. This will work. Dixon is giddy. Brown's blessing was the boost he needed. He returns to New Orleans on a mission. Over the months that follow, he enlists a who's who of American money to commit to 
the United States Football League. He ropes in the founder of Holiday Inn, the CEO of General Tire and Rubber, the owner of Anheuser-Busch, and a big oil tycoon. It's a murderer's row of money. On June 25, 1966, a headline is splashed atop newspaper sports sections around the country. New Football League announced. Dixon tells a reporter, By this time, even a slow-witted Southerner knows he has a tiger by the tail. And then, the craziest thing happens. The NFL holds a press conference where Pete Rozelle, the NFL's commissioner, announces proudly, Our next franchise will be located in New Orleans, Louisiana. Dixon can't believe what he's just heard. His dream is football in the Big Easy, and now the soon-to-be-christened New Orleans Saints are coming. As the news settles in, Dixon calls his investors. He starts with Gussie Bush of Anheuser-Busch. Gussie, I'm sure you saw the big announcement. We're finally getting a team in New Orleans. Yes, yes, very exciting. But what does that mean for our league? I got what I always wanted. And now, well... I'm just not that interested in pursuing a brand new league anymore. I can understand that, but frankly, without you, the whole thing falls apart. With the Saints coming to New Orleans, Dixon abandons the whole idea of the USFL, and his investors follow suit. Minus their visionary, nobody feels compelled to take the lead. And that is that. Only, that's not that. Not entirely. The years pass. The NFL grows in stature and depth from 14 teams to 28. Franchises are selling for $10 million. It's big money. Big business. Come 1979, David Dixon is at home in New Orleans watching another football game. He thought the NFL Saints would somehow fulfill his football itch, but, well, the team is perennially awful. Jesus Christ, can't we get some sort of offensive line in here? Manning's going to wind up in a casket. And the final score, Oakland 42, New Orleans 35. Be sure to join us. Oh, come on. He flicks off the TV and throws down the remote. Through its first 13 seasons, the team has never won more than seven games in a single campaign. A common sight at the Superdome features disgruntled fans arriving to the largely empty stadium with paper bags over their heads and the words, Ain'ts, scrawled in thick black marker. This is not his dream. In 1979, Dixon undergoes open-heart surgery and a triple bypass. His doctors advise him to take it easy and find a quiet hobby while he recovers. But that's not Dixon. Every Sunday, he watches the Saints and its so-so quarterbacking of Archie Manning and a Swiss cheese defense that can't stop anyone. Inevitably, they endure another licking. He's frustrated. He often wonders, when did the NFL get so dull? The games are rarely close. Players aren't encouraged to express themselves or their personalities. The offenses are too basic. One day, on August 5, 1979, Dixon opens up the New Orleans Times-Picayune 
to an article headlined, All Sports Network Will Offer 19 Hours of Nonstop Action. Dixon flips the paper to the sports section. Listen to this, Mary. Sports gluttons hearken. Beginning in September, an all-sports cable network will begin televising sporting contents for up to 19 hours a day. By December, the network hopes to go 24 hours. The force behind this is the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, Inc., out of Bristol, Connecticut, or ESPN, as it will come to be known. Mary waits for the other shoe to drop. Wait, what? I can't believe this. A 24-hour sports network. You know, it'll need programming and not just bowling and fishing tournaments, I'll tell you that. Mary watches as her husband furrows his brow, lost in thought. Dixon thinks back to the idea of a spring football league of the USFL. One of his major concerns was the potential difficulty of finding a station to broadcast the games. Suddenly, that's no longer a concern. Three weeks later, Dixon lands in Los Angeles and drives to Palos Verdes Estates, an upscale neighborhood about an hour south of L.A. As he gets out of the car, he pauses, taking in the stately home of a former NFL coach named George Allen. He's best known as the man who once guided the Washington Redskins to Super Bowl VII. But Allen has felt nothing but bitterness toward the NFL since 1978, when he was hired to coach the Los Angeles Rams, then fired before the season even began. The team gave him a thousand different reasons. Allen was too fanatical, too disciplined, too edgy. And they were all correct. The old coach was, on occasion, more cult leader than gridiron leader, and the players grew tired of his tyrannical ways. Yet for all his negative qualities, Allen is focused and resilient. So, when Dixon called asking for a meeting about a football project, Allen was game. Dixon perches on Allen's couch, ready to make his pitch, just as he once sat on Paul Brown's couch. The NFL thinks it owns football. I just don't believe that to be true. Allen shrugs. Well, it really is the only game in town. You've got the NFL and nothing else, really. Well, I'm here to talk about the idea of a spring football league. Professional players. You know, high-caliber games. Coach, I've never understood why this game we both love so much can only be played in the fall. It just makes no sense to me. It's a two-hour conversation. Ideas flying back and forth across the room. High-powered teams. Regional drafts. This thing called cable television. Alan is mesmerized. He stands up and points a finger into the air. My God, this will work. This will absolutely work. This time, David Dixon does not waffle. He returns to New Orleans, filled with hope and the knowledge that another one of America's great football minds believes in his vision of spring football. Suddenly, it merely feels like a matter of time. There is a new football league on the verge of being formed, and the nation's unrelenting appetite for the pigskin and the millionaire mogul's thirst for the ego boost of pro sports provide the ammunition for a war with the NFL that will change the landscape of professional football. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? 
Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's May 11th, 1982. New York City's legendary 21 Club, a one-time speakeasy that now serves as a hotspot for Manhattan celebrities to wine, dine, and be seen. On this afternoon, however, there are no celebrities to be found. Merely a dozen or so white, middle-aged men who were somehow wooed by Dixon to be here. There's a long wood table with two white football helmets resting on it, both decorated with the brand new red and blue logo of the United States Football League. A press conference is officially called for 11 a.m., and with 15 minutes to go, Dixon is a nervous wreck. He paces back and forth, biting his nails, checking his watch, wondering what exactly he has gotten himself into. Ideas are great, but turning an idea into a reality is terrifying, unsettling, nerve-wracking. About eight or nine reporters from various Big Apple outlets enter the club. They're offered Coca-Colas in small glass bottles and asked to take a seat. Few are excited about getting this assignment. Who needs a new football league when spring is already owned by Major League Baseball? Surely this thing will never get off the ground. Waste of time, little more. The new owners step out from behind a curtain and sit in chairs at the long wooden table. They look for Dixon, who's still behind the curtain, too terrified to talk. He wonders, is this really happening? He takes a deep breath, walks out, and joins the other owners at the table. About a year and a half earlier, Dixon commissioned a national survey on the subject of spring football. Of the 800 people called, 600 identified themselves as, quote, having an interest in professional football, which Dixon translated into... 600 of 800 people would watch the USFL. That's the information he presented potential investors. And it worked wonders. But now, Dixon worries he's oversold the public's interest in a new league. At the center of the table, there's a microphone. A man named Peter Spivak leans into it. He's heavy set with a couple of chins and a receding hairline. Few in the room have ever heard of the man. Before now, his claim to fame has been his status as a Michigan circuit judge. He also happens to be wealthy. Spivak nervously clears his throat. 
I'm Peter, and I own the Michigan franchise of the United States Football League. I am also the acting commissioner of the USFL. Thank you all for coming today. <clears throat> Our league believes that the sports fan in the United States wants to see more than the current 16-game professional season. After all, his favorite baseball team plays a 162-game schedule, and the basketball season runs 82 games. Spivak outlines the major details of the USFL. For now, there will be 12 teams from major cities across the country. The games will be played from early March through a mid-July championship game. Franchises will be stocked largely by regional college standouts. A fan who enjoyed watching stars at, say, Penn State and Pitt will be able to keep rooting for their young heroes on Philadelphia's USFL team. Each organization will be expected to pay approximately $6 million for players, and every team is expected to sign one or two marquee college stars to add heft to a roster. At the mention of bigger names, a reporter brightens. What kind of star power do you expect to recruit here? Dixon doesn't want to under-deliver. Look, we don't expect to have the same level of talent as the NFL. This will be a league of dreams, if you will. If you've dreamed of playing professional football and you have the talent to do so, well, the USFL will be your place to shine. One by one, more wealthy owners are introduced. Dixon recruited people by going name by name down the latest Forbes list of the top 400 richest people in the world. Combined... The men have agreed to commit more than $100 million in capital over the league's first two seasons. Another reporter sees an opportunity to play up a potential rivalry between the leagues. Are you trying to fight the NFL? Spivak all but cuts him off. Launching a war with the NFL would not be smart. No, no, no. We are our own football league. One has nothing to do with the other. Well, the next day... The USFL's press conference is the talk of the NFL's offices. Roselle finds the whole enterprise preposterous. Why, a couple of months earlier, Dixon called him and tried to poach him away, asking if he might have an interest in serving as the USFL's first-ever commissioner. Roselle, whose salary with the NFL is half a million dollars, struggled not to laugh at the request. Now, the old league bestows the new league with a nickname. It's not an affectionate one. The NFL calls the USFL the useless. They think it's all a big joke. They have no idea. Next time on Business Wars, the NFL laughs off its new rival until the upstart USFL goes out and signs one of the biggest stars in college football history and a legitimate pro football war begins. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe over the cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors, too. We hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and maybe tell your friends how to subscribe, too. There's another way you can support us, and that's by answering a short survey at wondery.com survey. And tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the conversations you've been hearing. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. 
I'm your host, David Brown. Jeff Perlman wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Emily Frost edited this story. Our editor and producer is Jenny Lauer Beckman. Sound design by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondering. Hey, I'm Mike Corey, the host of Wandery's show, Against the Odds. In our next season, I'm telling an amazing true story about American sailors who wrecked their ship off the coast of Africa in 1815. They're captured by a nomadic tribe. To escape, they will need to cross the largest hot desert in the world to reach civilization. They will battle against blistering heat, inhumane conditions, hunger, and thirst. Their heroic fight to get home will have a much greater impact than just on their own lives. It will influence a future president and change the course of American history in ways that are still felt today. This is the true story of the men who made it, and it's one that you don't want to miss. Subscribe to Against the Odds on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now.